Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest today won two consecutive Emmy Awards for playing the title character in his darkly hilarious HBO show, Barry. But for many comedy fans, he will forever be known as Stefan. Stefan, when I set a place to take your mom, I was looking for somewhere more wholesome. Right. You know, a lot of people's moms are a little older mm-hmm. and want to go somewhere, you know, nice and relaxing. Mm-hmm. Can you recommend anything like that? Yes, 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 yes. If you're looking for a place to relax with an old lady, look no further. New York's hottest club is spicy. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Bill Hader with Seth Meyers in one of his many iconic appearances as Stefan on Saturday Night Live. Since leaving that show in 2013, after eight impressive seasons, Bill has gone on to star in hit movies like Trainwreck, Inside Out, and It Chapter 2, and co-create one of my favorite cult comedies, Documentary Now. But I don't think even his biggest admirers saw Barry coming. Bill not only created and stars in the show as hitman-turned-struggling actor Barry Berkman, but also writes and directs most of the episodes. With the long-awaited season three premiering this past Sunday, I am so excited to finally have Bill on the podcast to go deep on Barry, SNL, and everything else from his remarkable comedy career. So let's not waste any more time. Here we go. This is me with Bill Hader. It's very exciting to have uh, have you on the podcast and to have Barry back on the air. Um, I've I've really been enjoying the the new season. I got to see a bunch of episodes. Um, and, and really loved it. I mean, now as, as we're talking, it's, you know, the show's about to premiere its third season. Just how does it feel for you to sort of be on this, this precipice of having it back out in the world after you've been now working on it for quite a while? It's very strange, especially, uh, you know, we had our premiere last night and it, yeah, it's very strange. It's a, it's a bit surreal, but you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's true. Once it's done and it's out there, it's kind of like, it's not yours anymore. You know, we've been kind of I've been sitting with this for three years in a, you know, lab, you know, with the writers <laughs> for pre-production and production and then post-production. And it's been this long process. And now here we are and you're just kind of like, Oh, this is nuts, you know, but yeah, there's a funny feeling of, you know, I don't really need to watch it <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it enough. I've seen it enough. Yeah. So I'm, I'm good focusing on something else. Yeah. Um, so as people are hearing this, the first episode will be out. So hopefully we can talk about that a little bit um, without being too afraid of, of spoilers, at least for the first episode. Um, but I will say that that Barry is in a, a pretty dark place when this season starts, yes. I would say, from, from yeah. moment one. Um, can you just talk about where this character is when we when we return to the show? Well, it's been about six months since the season two and you know i think he's um 
you know, he's a bit in a corner, you know, he's kind of like, he's not really, uh, I don't know what, how to put it, but he, he hasn't fully given up, but he's, he's pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's mostly playing video games and, uh, doing some, some jobs on the side, but not getting too much work. Yeah. Jobs on the side and laying around. He's kind of back to where he was the way we saw him in the pilot. Did you not come to bed again last night? Uh, no, I had a line in some work, but it fell through, so I just drove around. Fun. Okay, so lunch today's at two. Uh huh. Yeah, can you like get there like a little early? You know, watch a shoot. Oh, my controller's broken. <sighs> oh God, fans coming to look at cuts today. And do you want me to bring you flowers? Yeah. Uh, nothing yellow, okay? And, uh, if I say you can stay for lunch, just know that you can't. Love you! You have this incredible scene in the first episode, um, that actually the end of the first episode with Henry Winkler um, as Gene Cousineau when you guys are sitting across uh, the, the desk from each other. I just thought that was a fantastic scene for both well, of you. Thank you. you. Um, and it's sort of in this, it's in this episode, the, the end of the second season and now into this episode where he's really realizing that the monologue that you delivered to him in that first episode of the first season was real. And, and he really knows who you are now. Yeah, he knows who I am. And, and uh, uh, the end of the first episode of season three, um, we have like a, we have a bit of a confrontation in his office. And uh, that scene was very fun to write. And I think it's kind of, goes to kind of the tone of the show. I think the tone of the show is very well kind of summarized in that, you know. How so? Well, it's real emotions that are in there, um, real anger on Kusno's part, and uh, um, and very real stakes and, 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 uh, and kind of simplify, I think it kind of symbolizes like what the season's about, which is a bit about consequences. I think Barry kind of goes through life not really thinking about these consequences or or he always seems a bit surprised by them. And then when we're writing those things, you get to a certain place with it and then you decide like, well, we're either going to make it really, you know, dark or we make it uh, really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, if there is a theme of this season, it's probably summed up in that quote, uh, forgiveness has to be earned, which I think is something that Noho Hank tells Barry and then Barry in turn tells Gene. I don't know what to do, man. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad spot. Like I'm seeing shit that's not there. I'm like, I'm kind of losing my mind, man. And I need help. I need, I need a purpose, Hank. Barry, forgiveness is something that has to be earned. And whatever shit you're going through, I can't be part of it. I'm embracing my life. It's like that line in Shawshank Redemption. Get rich or die trying. Was that something that you were really thinking about as as a theme that you wanted to focus on and, and really carry through the whole season? Yeah, the theme is kind of like, they kind of pop up organically you know i'm writing season four right now and you know you never want to go towards a theme you never want to start and go well the theme is about this and then we're writing everything so it's about that 
because it, it has to be kind of alive and it has to kind of move it the way it wants to go. And then it isn't until you kind of write everything and then you sit and look at it and you're talking about it with, you know, the writers that suddenly, you know, that comes up and that line forgiveness has to be earned. Liz Sarnoff came up with that line. I remember in a writer's meeting and we, I went, Oh, you know, cause we were talking about the scene and it's like, yeah, the scene in the backyard with no Hank and Barry, it's like not there yet. You know, it's, the scenes usually start and it always seems a bit surfacey, you know, kind of a bit like there's funny things being said, but nothing really happens. So then you have to like keep at it and digging at it and digging at it. And then you go, it's a thing I, you know, I'm as the actor in the writer's room, I'm always going, well, if I'm playing NoHo Hank, I would be asking these questions. And if I'm, as I'm playing Barry, I'm asking these questions. And, and so in doing that, what tends to happen is that it, we simplify it. You know? Everything just becomes much more simplified in, 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 in terms of the emotion. Yeah. It occurred to me that, you know, Barry kind of is talking himself out of having to kill Gene in the same way that you guys were probably trying to write yourself out of having to kill off Henry Winkler, mm -hmm. which you wouldn't want to do because um, he's so fantastic on the show. Um, was that something that you kind of wrote yourself into a situation where you where he might have to go, but then you have to kind of write yourself out of that? I knew it was never going to go that way because Barry, the, the two people Barry loves the most are, are, are Kusno and Sally. So I never, we, I think we always knew that wasn't going to happen. But kind of figuring out what Barry's kind of boneheaded way of gaining forgiveness, that took a while. That was, that was something that did, we had a bunch of different, and again, what always ends up happening is it starts out kind of like a, well, you're like designing a mouse trap. Like, oh, what if this happens? And then that causes this thing to go off and this. And it's all kind of plotty and, you know, mm -hmm. it's nicer when it's like, well, what would they do? And you let the characters kind of drive it. And then by Barry making this really kind of, having this really dumb idea of how to like make him, <laughs> give him forgiveness. <laughs> you just go, oh, it's really dumb kind of earnest idea. And then that, then you kind of backtrack from that and going, okay, well, if he's going to have that idea, then let's show that he's in a really bad place. You know, he's really lost when we go in with him, just so I can buy on some level that this is where he would want to go, you know? So, and so that then informs the episode and then that informs the next episode and then, you know, and so on and so on in each scene. Yeah, I think this is something that's only really hinted at in the this first episode, but we slowly start to realize that Gene Cousineau is perhaps the biggest asshole in Hollywood of all time. Yeah. Um, and, and that becomes a really fun thing that you get to play with throughout, especially with someone like Henry, who is known for being such a nice guy. Incredibly nice guy. Well, I think the other thing is that with that, it was also that came out of, and this is another thing that happens kind of like the theme or whatever, is as you're writing, you start to see like parallels between the characters, you know, and that kind of will just bubble up where it's like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and then you get to a place where, you know, Barry says to Kusno at one point in the season, you know, look, we've both done bad things, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's like, oh, so 
okay, there's like this parallel kind of narrative between the two main characters. And then that can kind of spread to everybody else, but you don't want it to be too neat and tidy. You know, you always want it to be like, what would they actually be going through? So the Fuchs character is things a little different and Sally's is a bit different. Noel Hanks is a bit different, but, but it's all kind of in the same ballpark, you know? Yeah. Um, the Sally storyline is also so compelling this season, and I'm always so impressed by Sarah Goldberg in this right, role. She's amazing, yeah. Um, I saw somewhere that you said that that is the character that is sort of closest to you or that's most based on you in, in the show. Is that oh, true? No, I said, no, I said that at a Q&A because a girl stood up and said that she hated Sally. And oh. I, said, well, <laughs> I just wanted to embarrass this girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's not that's not how you think about it? No, but I think, I think all the characters, I mean, it's it's true it's a cliche but they all have parts of you in it you know they all have parts of you that that you uh it's it's impossible not to you know there's always a little part of you you at least have to understand the emotion behind what the person is going through so you can write it it might not have to be something you have like experience with but at least you've seen it and you can kind of you know, identify it, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing you do have in common with her character this season is that she's a showrunner and she's wearing all these hats on her show. And I imagine that is something that you related to and came from, came from your own experience somewhat. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a a big long one shot in the first episode that very, uh, kind of autobiographical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What were you thinking about when you, when you wrote that or when you, when you shot that? I mean, what experiences of your own? Um, well, you know, when I decided I was like, when I was writing it, I was like, Oh, it should be a one or kind of taking you through Sally's day on set or, you know, what her experience on sets like, but, um, and, and, but I didn't want it to be a one or for the sake of being a one or like, especially now with digital, like you can do, you can fake it. Yeah forever but i'm always like when i see wonders and stuff i'm like why is this a wonder you know um w- again what's the emotion behind the wonder and 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 i feel when i step onto a set i feel very small i feel like it's this big thing that's just just w- way bigger than me and that i'm in i'm quote unquote in charge of it but it's this mammoth thing and that and that you're kind of on some level exposing some levels to yourself. And so, you know, as it moves from the wide, this wide, the camera slowly starts to get closer to her and it's her having to make these quick judgments on things from her past. You know, it's her talking to two stunt people working out this awful thing that happened to her in her past and her having to be a bit objective about it and be like, Oh yeah, that's good. And blah, blah. And you don't have the time to really, process you know not that i killed anybody and i have to do that but it's like you know what i'm saying where you're kind of like oh this is like some heavy shit we're talking about but i don't have time to really you know digest it we got to keep moving and it just feels this kind of beat to it and then you have a moment to breathe and then you know you got to keep going and then you know yeah but the you know and uh carl hersey uh, our new DP this season did a phenomenal job uh, on that. Uh, Gavin Kleintop, first AD, and uh, Kenny Davis, who's our Dolly Grip. He, I mean, that guy worked his ass off that day. He had, he had a tough job, man. 
Yeah. Um, the other part of that storyline that I really have been enjoying is the depiction of what it's like inside a streaming service uh, with, um, you know, Elizabeth Perkins running it and um, just the all the craziness there. Um, where did where did that come from? Because I don't know how much experience you really have with that. Oh, world I've, been or lucky. I've been very lucky um, uh, in that in terms of that. That was mostly from the writer's room and experiences from other writers. You know, I, I, I that is not I mean, even the notes that Elizabeth Perkins gives <laughs> Sarah Goldberg's <laughs> character. So I mean, funny. Th- those are kind of notes that you know, that's one of those things in the room that everybody gets very excited about. And Emma Barry, one of our writers, she, it wasn't that exact note, but it was very similar to that about, um, uh, the parent, yeah, does she live with her mother? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was you know, that, that stuff, you know, it's kind of like, they, you know, she was like, yeah, it's always like, they feel like they have to ask something. So they ask something that's really mm-hmm. obvious, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's, and Elizabeth Perkins, I mean, yeah, she's the best. Yeah. It seems like you've had a little more freedom to do what you want to do than than Sally is getting in, uh, in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, her, her, you know, and that's the thing is the thing that I find interesting about Sally is that she's she's good. Yeah. She's really talented. And then it's kind of like within that world, it's kind of like you can get lost you know, yeah. like talent, what? talent isn't everything or can't get you everything. Yeah, that you, exactly. That you need. Exactly. And I, I, I've definitely have seen that more often than not where you see like obscenely talented people and the thing falls apart, you know, or, or it goes great in her case, it's going great, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hopefully this is not a too big of a spoiler for future episode, but I'm very curious how you got Alison Jones to play herself <laughs> in the show. But you know what? I like your intensity. You kind of have like a not present Joaquin Phoenix thing. We might have something for you actually that you could be right for. On the show of Laws of Humanity, there's a great role, Mr. Milloway. Can you come back at six o'clock and read for that? Me? Yeah, six o'clock, different office. Good role, I think you'd be great for it, yeah. Last slot. Well, she was in season two, so. Oh yeah, yeah. um, She was in um, episode seven of season two. And, um, she just came back and I mean, she's, uh, I mean, we're all nervous because even though she, I'm like directing her and stuff, I'm still like, I might want to, I want to be asked by her and something. So yeah, it was a, it was a tightrope for me where I'm like, yeah, do whatever <laughs> you want. You're great. <laughs> yeah. Her name has come up a lot on this podcast, um, as you can imagine. And I think for, for anyone who doesn't know, she's a legendary comedy casting director, um, mm. Was there something that you, was there a first time that you met her or first thing that she cast you in? Or? Um, I don't think she's ever cast me in anything. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. I think, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been cast. I mean, I've been in things that she's cast. Okay. I don't, can't remember reading for her. But you know what? I didn't read a lot because I wasn't very good in reading. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of offers though? No, 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 no. The offer, I was like, I got lucky. I was on Saturday Night Live. But the the big jobs I got, yeah, it was more like, you know, super bad. Where Seth Rogen was like, "Hey, man, why don't you come in?" or whatever. Um, but no, she was great. Coming up, 
We go all the way back to the beginning of Bill's career when he was hired at SNL with almost no comedy experience. Let's just say it wasn't easy becoming one of that show's all-time greats. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my conversations with other SNL alums like Sarah Silverman, Martin Short, Anna Gasteyer, Rachel Dratch, Colin Quinn, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Bill Hader. So let's go back, um, you know, a little bit to talk about some other stuff. This this podcast is mostly about comedy, and Barry is a comedy, but it's a, also very dark. Um, and I want to talk about some of your other comedy work. Uh, maybe going all the way back to SNL, where were you in your in your life and your in your comedy career when you got that? Because I think you have a pretty unconventional uh, path to SNL compared to a lot of other people. Um, yeah, I was I was um, I was taking classes at Second City LA which was the theater that's kind of right next to the improv on Melrose. And I was working as a nighttime assistant editor at a place called triage and Sherman Oaks. And we did like a lot of like food channel shows. So I'd work as a nighttime assistant editor and then I would, um, uh, do, you know, take classes and do shows on the weekends or whatever. And then, um, and then we also, I was in a group, uh, and we were uh, in a, a sketch comedy group and we were doing shows in a backyard in Van Nuys. And um, one of the guys in that group was Matt Offerman, his brother's Nick Offerman. And um, he and I had a show or level five show at, at second city LA and uh, which is your final show. And um, Megan Lally came to it, saw me in it and told Lauren Michaels about me. <laughs> I mean, it's the story that it's the reason a lot of people hate my guts. <laughs> it's just like that story. <laughs> because it was sort of too, too easy or something. I, or just like, how fucking lucky are you, man? Yeah. You know? So it was like, okay, you told Lauren Michaels about me and then I met him and I was like, well, that's wild. And I didn't have a manager or, an, or, or I had a, like, uh, I kind of had a manager, but I, I got the manager. So for the meeting, it was like, I had mm-hmm. a friend who worked for a manager and she said, well, I can help you. And then, um, you know, I just went and did that. And, uh, and then I, he came to LA, saw me perform. And after the, 
and we killed. And then after the performance, he said, were all the, were those your friends in the audience? And I said, yes. <laughs> and he was like, all right, you got to come to New York. Yeah. So he came, he flew us out to New York. We did the show in New York. And in the front row was Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, <laughs> Marcy Klein and Seth Meyers and, and uh, Lauren Michaels and everybody was just right there. And, um, and I had to do the, do the same show. And then I found out later in the audience, Bobby Moynihan was in that audience. Who I later mm-hmm. worked with. And, um, and they, it went fine. It went pretty good. And then I did my official SNL audition. Um, yeah. So then you, after, even after that show, you had to do a, a real audition. Yeah, yeah. So I did. So that, that all toll was like nine months. And, and then I got the show. What was it like doing that show with all of those, you know, heavyweights in the front row? And, and was that, was you know, that hard? I, I was no, you know what? I was so like dumb and young. I mean, I I just was like, this is never gonna happen. So I was just having fun. You know, it's a good attitude. <laughs> I was just like, this is never gonna happen. I got nothing to lose. So I'm just having fun. And like my sister flew out from Tulsa and we all got drunk afterwards and just have fun. And I remember my manager was like, Hey, I think you might get this, because they were really impressed. And I was like, No way, you know, like no way this is happening. Um, so yeah, but then I just, yeah, I was really like lucky. What were the characters or the impressions that you did in the actual, you know, formal audition? Uh, I did, uh, this character I used to do, um, on, uh, uh, on the show called Vinny Videci. He was an Italian talk show host. It was him doing impressions. So I think he did Al Pacino, James Mason, Peter Fott, you know, people, all the actors that people have been doing impressions of for years. Um, and then the day of the audition, they called and said, Hey, we need a political impression from you, but it can't be a, um, it can't be George Bush, who was the president at that time. So I did Tony Blair. Okay. I thought you were going to say maybe James Carville, but that came later. No, James Carville was written for me, uh, by Rob Klein, Seth Meyers, and John Mulaney. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like when I heard your Alan Alda for the first time, that was when I really was like, I couldn't believe I'd never heard a, an impression that was that uh, spot on. Hey, uh, hey, what are you looking at, butthead? Hey, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? And, you know, that, that, that is a great line. That, I mean, that is so great. You know? The stuff you guys are doing with the 50s and everything. You know, I, I had jackets like this. Can you believe that? I'm the, I'm the old guy. You know? Yeah, the Alan Alda, I, I can't remember. I think I was watching just Crimes and Misdemeanors or something, and I was just doing it in the shower, and then I was like, oh, I think I could do this. But you know who else can do Alan Alda really well is Peter Serafinowicz. That, that he, he can do one. He's, his Alan Alda is actually incredibly good. Um, you know, I know you've talked a lot about your, the anxiety that you faced on the show. And I was curious, you know, did that not come until it was actually happening? Was there panic involved with getting it once you realized, oh, this is actually going to happen? Or was it purely positive, the the feelings about getting the show? Um, getting the show is always really positive. I mean, I've always had like, I always get pretty anxious in front of crowds. Um, um, you know, even when I was at Second City LA, before every show, I'd be pretty anxious. I mean, last night I had to introduce the premiere of Barry and I was super anxious. You know? Like I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh God, I got to get up in front of everybody. And, um, and 
so that was always there. And then when I got the show uh, and did my first episode, that was when it was like, oh no, you know. And when did I you start? Basically, start. I was like, basically, sorry. Basically, all I did was was try to ignore it for four years. Yeah. <laughs> I just tried to pretend it wasn't happening, and then it, you know. Yeah. I've always thought it was interesting that you know you were there with Fred Armisen and have worked so much with him, and he's sort of known as the most unflappable SNL. Yeah, Fred, you can cast throw anything ever. at, and he's just like it's nothing. Yeah. And what I, is that about him that he is just able to, you know, not be affected by that stuff? I just think he has like a supreme confidence and he's doing his stuff for him, you know what I mean? It's like, he's, this is what he finds funny, but then he's also very gracious and giving, you know, as a performer, you know? So, um, so yeah. You said, you know, you basically tried to ignore it for four years. Was there a point where it did eventually go away the the anxiety or was it there basically until the end no it was there till the end uh, it's there pretty much <laughs> yeah. the whole time i mean you do like by by the end of the last season it was kind of like uh okay i know i'm leaving fred is leaving so there's stuff online laughing a lot and sketches and shit but yeah i mean i don't know yeah very weird <laughs> And then in terms of, you know, you, then you've come back and hosted, um, and has that, was that a very different experience for you to, to host or did it feel the same? It's kind of the same. You're, it's like having a, a heavy show. <laughs> yeah. You're all of a sudden yeah, in every good, sketch. Like in every sketch. Yeah. And then when I go there, they always, I always have to do update too. And, right. You don't know, even get a break. So I never really get a break, but it, it, you know, I always enjoy it like in retrospect, like after it's over with, I'm like, ah. But when it's happening <laughs> and the, what my problem is the lead up to it, the anticipation of it is, uh, so awful, you know, that it just, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like more and more people are, are doing other projects while they're at SNL. And I think that was definitely true. Wasn't true a long time ago. And it was definitely true for you. You did so many movies while you were there, I guess, over the summer and stuff, you know, super bad and forgetting Sarah Marshall, Tropic Thunder. Um, what was that what was that experience like for you of of getting that opportunity to you know go do these these big movies when you weren't um working I mean, on the show i i just was like I, you know i can't believe i'm getting this these opportunities you know and just trying to have um you know try to learn and have a lot of fun and i mean the bigger thing for me was just learning cuz i knew in the back of my head i'm like well i really want to direct you know, that was the thing that I've always wanted to do. So it was like, how do I get into that place where I can write and direct? So, you know, it's kind of just bother, bothering, you know, Greg Matola on the set of Superbad or, you know what I mean? Like, so why are you shooting it like that? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was hard though, you know, I mean, I shot Superbad during the season, That 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 was i was shooting i was i was flying back and forth so that was shot in the fall and so i was on my breaks going there and coming back my first wife who is a whore mm -hmm. by the way where do you think i met her a bar a bar it's this bar was this bar yeah it's this bar bought her a binions commented her on her tote bag and next thing you know she's Put it in her mouth around the tip of my penis. Uh, you don't have to tell me that. 
right in there. She opened up my world sexually. On our wedding night, we had a group sex. I wasn't involved in it, but I, I could hear it I through was. the wall. She was amazing. And then it was exactly 23 months later they found out that she was an actual whore. We discovered her on the street. Yeah. And then I shot another movie called Skeleton Twins. That was during the season. With Kristen, yeah. With Kristen, yeah. That that was I shot that in the winter. So I was I think when we shot that I I did like two or three shows. And then, you know, ultimately obviously you decided I think you were there for eight seasons, right? Um, before you decided to leave. Was there a fear about what would come after? Were you excited to take on, you know, new stuff? Yeah, I, I think I don't get too worried about that stuff. Not that, oh man, there's gonna be something there. I just I'm pretty like, okay, this is done. So let's move on. You know, I don't get really um I miss the people there. That's who I miss is like when I go, when I've gone back and visited or did a bit part or something, it's always just, I just miss the people there. It's like going, you know, it is, it's like that thing of like going back to your school and seeing all your teachers and friends and everything, you know? But, um, so that, that's what I miss is the, the crew and, 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 you know, those people. And, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I kind of was like, yeah, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go and and really put no thought into what I would do. <laughs> it was kind of like, well, let's see what happens. This will be, yeah, this will be well, interesting. That's, you that's, know? A, that's a, that's a privilege to be able to, <laughs> to just go out there and say, let's see what happens. Yeah, no, I was in a very privileged position, but also doing, you know, having people talk to me going like, so that's it. Congrats. Yeah. Like that's the end of your career. You know, you I, did was, it. <laughs> I was doing these interviews with people and, 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 yeah, the about leaving SNL, and it was always a lot of them felt like, well, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like, we'll never see you again. And, and I just tried not to let that, you know, uh, you know just kind of was like, oh, let's just let me just focus on other things. Is it true that Lauren really wanted uh, you to do a Stefan movie? He he threw it out there. He wouldn't be like, "Hey, you know, we got to do this." But yeah, he he threw it out there. Uh, John Mulaney and I, and and I, I think our response was it didn't work as a sketch. That's why I was up on updates. <laughs> it will be a movie. And he was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't get very far in that process of actually trying to figure out how it might be a movie. It was one, it was one conversation that John and I immediately shot down. <laughs> but it wasn't like, it wasn't like Warren was like, you got to do this. And that's how we do it. He was just like, well, what do you guys think about that? And we were like, yeah. Um, what was that first big thing that you got or that you, you know, were, were working on after the show? I documentary now. Uh, yeah. first season of documentary now which we I, I should say we sold that to ifc like a week after my last episode oh wow and we went into ifc and i think solely because fred had portlandia they were like we'll do whatever you guys want and we're like you sure you haven't heard the idea yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's a, it's going to be very uh, esoteric documentary. It's, parodies, it's yeah. Literally for us, we're the only yeah. people who are going to want to watch this. And they were like, no, that's great. And then, um, so documentary now is the first thing that we, you know, well, pitched. I, I, then, <laughs> but you, even doing that though, didn't know if it was going to happen necessarily. It was kind of like, well, they said, yes, um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I don't think anything, I don't think it was like we started shooting right away. I think it took, a year or so before we actually started shooting it. 
Well, I that show it, it was definitely for me as well. I, I love that show so much. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and uh, there were just so many great uh, moments in it. Um, did you? It feels like that ex- the experience of making that show must have been very different from SNL because you had time to develop these things and shoot them very meticulously. And it wasn't this kind of run and gun thing that, that you're doing on SNL where everything's a little more ephemeral. You know what though, on documentary now there were, they didn't have a lot of days to shoot those, you know, like, so a bit of it was run and gun. And I think because it was Reese Thomas and Alex Bruno who had shot um, stuff for SNL forever and did commercial parodies and, and short films, that you know a good example is we the first episode was a um gray gardens i almost said spoof uh, <laughs> parody. is that a forbidden word yeah i don't know why i was like i don't know it probably isn't and i think we had two days to shoot it and and in those two days had to pick up shots for other episodes mm-hmm. um and we were doing a scene and i said oh wouldn't it be funny if i fell through the floor right here <laughs> And the crew in LA all kind of looked at each other and the production designer and the producer were like, wait, what? He wants to fall through the floor, what's going on, whatever. And Reese and Alex and, you know, were like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about because we worked together for SNL, which is like, oh, Bill falls to his legs, we shoot a thing, and then we just did it right then. We have our own stage. Isn't it beautiful? This is where I first learned to dance. I have a memories of- Vivi! Oh my God! Downstairs, go, go, go! Shoot all the way through, Vivi. What did you do? What happened? I fell through the floor again. Oh. It's because you stopped. I don't stop. I'm always telling you, you got floor all of my lima beans. It was that SNL, that SNL experience really helped. Oh, hundred percent. It made sense. things that I think to other people look completely impossible possible but i'm also going to say that didn't mean that it, it was easy you know we were also still like this is hard you know we would love to have more time <laughs> you know um i know there's more of it coming uh are you you're you're semi-involved or not as involved I'm in not the, really in no next... I, I i'm like a producer i you know but it's really recent alex and i've seen stills um and stuff from this new season and it looks un, uh, unreal the technology where it is now, even to when we first started the show, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's unreal. Like they sent me stuff and I thought it was old photos and things. And we <laughs> like, no, this is the, we shot this. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, and it's really unbelievable. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, Barry doesn't leave you a ton of time to do other stuff, but one recent thing that I really enjoyed was your uh, performance as three different characters on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, that must've been a, an interesting experience to get to kind of enter that world of that show. Yeah. It's been yeah, on for that, so long. That's always exciting to have Larry call you and say, you're going to play three different guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was fun. That was my first thing post COVID. So it was, I was like, oh, so this is how it all works now, you know? Yeah. Was that kind of intense to be on a set? Uh, not really. Everybody was really, you know, it was all, you know, it was really well done. It was very well run. And and it was, I, I think, one of the, like, happiest crews I've ever seen. Like, the crew just had such a good time. And when I rapped, everybody did, like, this big cheer and everything. And I'm like, this is really 
It was something, you know, it's just not usual, you know. How did you how did you enjoy his kind of unique style of uh no script and, and going uh, well, into I it like that? I worked with him before on on clear history. Um, so I knew how he worked and it was just it was a lot of fun just me but most of my scenes were with him and Jeff and all of them were with him and Jeff and uh and uh it was so much fun. It changed my mind. The vase is no longer uh, for sale. Are you not in business to sell vases? I am, but yeah. this happens, you know, it's yeah. sentimental value. Oh, uh, yeah, I know why he changed yeah. his mind. Because Timor talked to Gregor, and Gregor talked to Igor. Isn't that how it works? Right? You're accusing me of sneaking around? You're accusing me of being a sneak? I'm not saying you're sneaky. I'm saying they you're spoke in, to you. You're implying I'm sneaky. You can't come into my store and tell me that we I am some sort of... What are you doing? Well, I guess your, your wife's not going to fuck you anymore. And that's on you. I can do whatever I want. Oh, what? Because we didn't like the goulash. That's why you're doing this. What are you this? talking about goulash? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I know. That's what happened. Gregor, talk to you. Don't sell bars. They don't not like goulash. And you say, okay, okay, Gregor. You're an insane person. I'm not insane. You're, you're a crazy You don't know person. what you're talking about. You go live on oh, the streets. Oh, we didn't like oh, the goulash. Oh. I'm about to snap. Go ahead and snap. I will snap. Go ahead. Let's go. Get out of here! Fine! And I know your brothers! I know your brothers! Go play with Tinker Toy, you fucking child! And they're so... I'll tell you the thing about Larry and Jeff, too, is that they're very very generous laughers. Like, they don't... You don't... very rare to see that sometimes when it's their show. They don't want to like... But, man, if, if Larry finds something funny, he really loses it. So, uh, he, he was very sweet. I would say you're probably known as the most generous laugher in, in comedy. Oh, I mean, you're... <laughs> I'm, I'm known as someone who's not good at his job. <laughs> I'm terrible at my job. I you laugh with breaking. Yeah, I break all the time, constantly. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I would. I was actually very like, this is getting too much. And then I talked to Lauren Michaels about it, and he's like, "Well, if what you were saying wasn't funny, it would be a problem." But what you're saying is really funny. So yeah, I'd say one recent example of you being a generous laugher uh, was on Conan's final week of shows, where you were his guest, and and Paul Rudd came by, and you guys got to do that uh, that bit together. Can you can you explain sort of what happened? Because you were you were in on this uh, sort of well, prank on Conan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a Mac and Me thing, um, where Rudd forever has come in and done his Mac and Me. Yeah, the clip of the boy in the wheelchair going down the hill. And um, and uh, so for me, it was just so fun uh, just to be out there with Conan. And I felt really honored that he had me as one of his final guests and all that. And uh, and um, <laughs> so I knew Rudd was going to come out and he was and the way we we're going to come out is we made up a sketch called Ed Burns Grill Boys that <laughs> that was an actual bit that he and I and Joe Latruglio did at a, um, at a party the Lonely Island guys had, and we cleared out the backyard cause, um, we ran it into the ground. No one, found it. <laughs> no one got it. My, I have a distinct memory of, I think it was Gene Garofalo throwing a pillow at us and yelling, please stop doing it. <laughs> um, but we were, we just kept talking like Ed Burns, who's a very nice guy. I worked with him once and he's a very sweet guy. And it was just us grilling going like, Hey, Hey, uh, how, how's your mom doing? She doing all right? you know, like, yeah. And my mother, she's a cop, but I think she wants to be a fireman. <laughs> it was just like, and we just, and we were grilling. It just made no sense. 
So <laughs> we did Edburn's Grill Boys, and then um, and then uh, Paul Rudd came out. And when he came out, what I didn't know is that Paul was going to come out in a tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the minute Paul came out as a surprise, I'm like, oh, yeah, Paul came out as a surprise. And then I turn and look and I'm like, he's, he's in a tuxedo. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And, and then um, and Paul, what was making me laugh so hard was I knew the thing. But, was you know, I knew the Mac and me bit. It was the... Um, the smugness on Paul Rudd's part <laughs> of drinking his mug with his tux on. That was really, really, really getting me. Like I could not, I really could not stop laughing every time <laughs> I would look at him and he just, just this smug guy in a tuxedo um, showing this insane clip, just really proud of himself that I was laughing so hard. Lauren said, in, the, in his history with the show, it was the worst <laughs> received sketch. That's fantastic. Of all time. Yeah. We did an address and it didn't get one, not one laugh. Not one. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, they actually do film the dress rehearsals. They do. If you would no, like to see no, the no, sketch. No, 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 no. And you will see what I'm talking about. Play the sketch. Yeah, and then meanwhile, you kind of had to keep it together a little bit to keep the uh, the ruse going. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't until the ruse, until it played. Yeah, that you really lost it. When it played, I lost it because it cut the <laughs> rud. And it was really just him looking around so satisfied with himself in a tux with a coffee cup. Yeah. And that well, really I think got me. I think that'll go down as an all-time uh, late-night TV moment. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one of the greatest running bits in late-night history by far. So what I want to do now before we end is our segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to uh, ask you some questions about your life and career and comedy, um, some firsts. So going all the way back, do you remember the first piece of comedy or one of the first that made you laugh really hard as a kid, something you you really connected to? And there's so much... I mean, this is bad. I mean, this is kind of the culture right now. But yeah, the first thing I think of is a Woody Allen movie. But I'm like, oh, God, you know. But I didn't know the stuff about Woody Allen. But it was a a, a moment in Take the Money and Run where um, I remember this very well. It was Sunday morning and we had to go to church for some reason. But my family didn't go to church. But for some reason, I was dressed to go to church. I was, I was pretty young and they, and they, they did the thing where... Uh, Virgil Stock, whether to get out of prison, um, they gave him, they inoculated him with a new vaccine test. They tested a vaccine on him to, to get him out of prison. And they said, the, the, you know, the, it was a success with one side effect for, you know, for 48 hours, he was a rabbi. And I did <laughs> to Woody Allen as a rabbi and goes, the reason the Israelites, like the minute, just the hard cut to him. Yeah. Yeah. Made me laugh. Like it was such a <laughs> shock. Like I wasn't expecting it. And I, I just remember I fell out of my, I fell off my bed laughing. I just, <laughs> I just like howling laughing because it just totally, it really was just, it, it, it subverted your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? Yeah. I was um, in the car 
uh, with my grandmother who was from Chicago. Um, and she, uh, we grew up in Tulsa and she drove past Oral Roberts university and Oral Roberts university has these giant praying hands in front of it. And she just kind of looked at it a bit suspiciously and was kind of going like, what the hell is that? You know? And, uh, and I, said, those are the praying hands for my mom. So those are the praying hands of, you know, whatever, Oral Roberts. And then I said, oh, at midnight they clapped and everybody laughed really hard in the car. <laughs> I, I don't know how old I was, but they were like, that was really funny. And then that was the thing where my dad came home and they told him, he's like, did you say at midnight they clapped? That's funny. <laughs> you know? He's like, that's a funny. Yeah. I remember going, that's a funny image. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if this was actually your first time on TV or one of the first was uh, on Punked uh, mm-hmm. before anyone knew who you were. Um, what was that experience like of of doing that show? And and kind of, it seems like it's a very challenging uh, yeah. kind of thing uh, to do. I, I had a hard time on Punked. I only did it a couple of times, but yeah, that was... It wasn't for you? I just felt bad. And I, you know why? Because we did it to Ashley Simpson and I had to yell at her and she started crying. Yeah. And I had to That's be not, with That doesn't her. sound I, fun. And I, and you know, afterwards she was laughing and like, oh, it was a joke. But I, I felt terrible. You know, I just, it didn't make me feel good. Were you there for her uh, infamous SNL musical no, performance? That was before my time. That was okay. Before. Good. Cause she, yeah, if she had seen you there too, she probably really wouldn't have been. I'm like, oh, this asshole again. <laughs> Um, your, uh, your first episode of SNL, uh, I believe was, uh, Steve Carell was the host and Kanye West was the musical guest. He was also the musical guest on your last episode that you were on. Is that right? Yep. My, my one question is just, did he know that you were at least partly behind the whole South Park, uh, gay fish thing when, uh, he, when, no, when he met you? No, I don't think so. Cause I, I, I can't imagine he, he loved that. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He's a... He's, you know, he's, he's hard to pin down. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you thinking? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but I did tell him my last episode, Hey, you were the, you know, my first show and he put our foreheads together and he said full circle. And I was like, yes. All right. All right. <laughs> and he was actually very nice. It was like, Oh, that was nice. Well, he did have some of the most incredible SNL musical performances I've ever seen. Oh so. yeah. With the ballerinas. That was we had yeah i was there for that um what about the the first sketch that you that you got on the air that was really something that you had written that you were that you were really proud of and and something that that you were just really excited to have on i guess it was the first vincent price sketch that was my sixth episode um i wrote that with matt murray and uh eva longoria was the host and uh i was uh just petrified you know couldn't sleep for days beforehand. Just <laughs> believe I'm having to do this. And, but yeah, that was that was a big one. That was really fun. Greetings, weary travelers. My name is Vincent Price. Tonight, I offer you passage into the darkest recesses of the supernatural. Hark! Do you hear that? Is that the children of the night crying out in unimaginable agony? Or is it my Thanksgiving special? Do you have a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really wasn't funny at all when it happened? (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's ones that at the time I'm like, Oh, I just want to crawl up into a ball and die. And then, you know, then it, you see in retrospect, it turned out okay. And, um, I remember auditioning for a movie for a great casting director named Deb Aquila. Um, and I came in and read and I had, I think overthought it. <laughs> and she stopped me mid read and said, Hey, you know, this is a comedy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's that, you know? And she was very sweet though. She was like, go home. I don't think you prepared this right. Go home, work on it, come back. Oh, wow. And got a second chance. I got a second chance and it was very, it was very sweet. And then I ended up not getting that part, but I booked another part in that called You, Me, and Dupree. Do you have a story or memory about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes? Um... I'm sure you met a lot at SNL, but yeah, my third episode of SNL, I got to the after party and Steve Higgins, the producer said, Hey, someone wants to meet you. And he took me into a back room and sitting alone was Dan Aykroyd and Dan Aykroyd. And I sat and he basically told me what my career was going to be like. I mean, he just explained it. He said, you're going to start out to be hard and it's, you're going to be figuring out and then you're going to hit your stride and then the audience is going to know who you are and it's going to go well. And then at some point, you know, it's all gonna, at some point you're going to just be like, eh, I'm done. Once you start kind of, you know, punching the clock, then it's time to leave. And finally, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out other comedians, other comedy oh, shows sorry. that they're really enjoying right now, really making you laugh. Oh my God. Um, I've lo- I, I mean, well, t- Tim Robinson, Robinson makes me laugh so much. Uh, you should leave, I think is amazing. Yeah. I love what he does. Well, you know what I'll say is Tim and then anything Nathan Fielder does just makes me laugh so hard. Incredible. Nathan Fielder. The, I think the last episode of that, of his show, where they take the Bill Gates, I I thought that was like one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Yeah. I keep hearing rumors that he has a new show coming, but I don't know what, what's going on with it. But I, I think whatever it is, it'll be incredible. I, I've heard about it and it's I think it's going to be incredible. And I, I think... Uh, and you know him and Tim are both just great people, and you know, uh, and then um, oh my god, uh, I like anything Darcy Carden does. I mean, oh she's yeah, my friend, but she's like, she's so good on the new season too. By the way, she's yeah, I just really, love really funny. Darcy really makes me laugh. Anyway, I'm telling you right now, I'll get off the thing. And go, oh, god, <laughs> that's what I was thinking of, and no. but those are like the safe bets that like if I see a new a thing by any of those people, I hop on it immediately that's great um well bill thank you so much i'm so glad we finally got to to do yeah, this and thank um, you. i really love the new season of barry oh man thank you everyone's so really gonna enjoy it thank you so much pal i really appreciate it well that was incredible thank you so much to bill Hader for being my guest on today's show the first episode of barry's third season is available to stream now on hbo max and new episodes air Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. I have been lucky enough to see most of the new season, and it is so, so, so good. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. 
The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.